Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you have been blessed by the Miracle of Mercy series thus far? Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I know we've been getting a lot from that, right? And we can never get enough mercy. <laughs> so we thank God for that this morning. Hallelujah. Do you have your Bibles with you today? I hope that you have also some notes to take today, and I pray that this message will bless you. I'll be speaking today on God's mercy, my failures. Amen? God's mercy, my failures. And we're going to be reading today from Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35. How many of you fail? Okay, come on, everybody should have their hands up. We all fail. Thank God for his mercy when we do. Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35 says, Jesus said, Tonight every one of you would desert me. For scripture says that when the shepherd is killed, the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Then Peter boasted, But Lord, even, every, even if everyone else fails you, I will never deny you. Jesus replied, Peter, the truth is that before this night is over and before the rooster crows at dawn, you will deny knowing me three times. Peter insisted, but Lord, I would never do that. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny knowing you. And I'm going to leave it there for a second. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful God. You are a loving God. That even though we fail, we mess up, you are always there to help us pick up the pieces. Lord, that you love us even through our failures. That you love us even when we're doing what we're not supposed to be doing. Father, so we thank you for that everlasting mercy that only you know how to give, Father. We thank you, Lord, and I pray that this word will lay in the hearts of each and every person, each and every individual in this place today that it would touch their hearts and it would move them, Lord, that we will all learn, Father, that we are not exempt from failures, but that we too are sinners. But we thank you that you are the most loving God who is able and just to forgive us. So we praise you this day, and I pray that this word would sit in the hearts of every individual in this place and that it would meet them at the point of their need this morning, Father, for we are all in need. And, Lord, we are all going through something in one way or another. So I pray that this word would meet each and every individual at the point of their need, Father. We ask you this in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that I'm not going to speak today, Lord, but you speak for me, Father. In Jesus' mind, if I surrender myself to you, I surrender my vocal cords to you, Father, that you speak for me, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm excited to be here today to be able to speak this word. Um, when I was first asked to speak on mercy, I said, Lord, am I, am I the one to speak on mercy? Because <laughs> sometimes I don't find myself to be the most merciful person. How many of you feel that way? Come on, I know I'm not alone. You know, sometimes, right, you just don't feel like very merciful. And um, I said, Lord, you sure you want me to speak on this? And I, I even looked at my husband. I said, honey, maybe on some other thing, you know, maybe on some other. But the mercy thing, I, I'm not sure. But I just said, let me be obedient to God anyway, and let me go through it. And I tell you, God has blessed me. God blessed me through this word that I'm about to deliver to you today. And um, it's just a blessing to know that God is always with us. No matter what we go through, no matter what we do, he is with us, and he's able and just to forgive us because we need that. I don't know how many of you need that today. Hallelujah. One of the things um, I'm going to be speaking about is what causes our personal failures. How many of you understand what causes our personal failures? Because I think we don't give enough importance to that question. Or we've never questioned ourselves what causes, because some, we, we fail, but there's reasons sometimes behind it. Sometimes it's upbringing, sometimes it's going with the flow, sometimes, you know. So what causes our failures um, today? And I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself that question as we continue to go through this message. And one of the things I came upon was that we tend, one of the causes for our failures is that we tend to overestimate ourselves. How many of you know that? We tend to overestimate ourselves. How many of you are 
uh, UFC people. UFC, yeah, you like the fighting championships, UFC fighting. How many of you? Uh, only a few. Only a few hands went up. Um, I watch it from time to time, but my husband loves UFC. You know, Ultimate Fighting Championships. Anybody here? Oh, okay, you do too. And I think Rhoda says she does too. Well, last night there were some fights. How many of you saw the fights last night? No? Well, you know, there was a, an upset last night in the main championship fight. There was an upset, you know, because they thought that the champion, who was the current champion, was going to win the uh, fight. But the one who came in as the replacement, gets what? The underdog ended up taking the title. So they call that an upset because everybody was expecting what? The outcome to be the champion to win this fight and not the underdog who just came in as a what? Replacement at the last minute. My husband was telling me about it, so that was very interesting. And that's what I call the champion. He said, when they interviewed him, he said, I underestimated you know, what was going to happen. I don't think he prepared enough thinking that a, a replacement was coming in. So he, he, he um, you know, re relied on his own sheer strength or his abilities, and that's called overestimating ourselves. And he ended up losing the fight because he overestimated himself and underestimated what? His opponent. So the opponent ended up taking the fight. And this is a good, this is good because um, this is what I want to talk about. We tend, one of the failures, one of the ways we tend to fail or, or tend to do what we're not supposed to, because we overestimate our own strengths. We think that we're stronger sometimes than even the enemy, okay? And we stand there and we say, you know, well, I know what I'm doing, um, I know what I'm thinking, and we overestimate our own strengths. So number one, and I want you to, I hope you have your pens today and your paper and all of that. We think we are stronger than we really are. That's number one, when we tend to overestimate ourselves. We think we are really stronger than we really are. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. We're not that strong. Number two, we think we can handle more. That's number two. We think we can handle more. We think we're stronger than we really are. We think we can handle more. We think we can handle our, our current situation, our present situation. And sometimes we feel we don't even need God because we're strong enough to handle it without him. Number three, we think we can handle the temptation. Now, how many of you have been tempted? Every hand should be up. We've all been tempted, you know. And there's nothing wrong with being tempted because even Jesus was tempted, right, in the desert when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted of the enemy. So that, there's nothing wrong with being tempted. It's what we do, okay, with that temptation. It's what we do if we give in to the temptation and then we go ahead and flow with whatever we're being tempted with. And the thing is that a lot of times we are people who we're going through stuff but like I said, we think we're so strong that we don't share with anybody what we're going through. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Because how many of you need prayer? I need prayer every day. Because there's some things I'm going through that I, you know, I'm like, Lord, Jesus, help me. <laughs> you know? And it's difficult. And I appreciate the prayer of the saints because we're all going through. How many of you are going through something right now, this very moment? Amen. Amen. We all are, right? The enemy is like a what? A roaring lion looking to whom he can devour. So he's out there constantly tempting, constantly, you know, bringing issues and problems. And, you know, some, how many of you get tired? Because I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I get tired, you know, sometimes. You can get weary of things, you know. But thank God for his goodness and for his strength. We overestimate our strengths. A lot of businesses fail because they have overestimated their strength. You know that? A lot of battles were lost because someone overestimated their strength. And you see in the Bible, when you look at some of the, the battles in the Bible, you know, there was massive amounts of what soldiers ready to fight, and then God would just bring maybe a couple of people in comparison to fight against them. And the people would go, but how could this be? And the enemy would always overestimate their strength. 
you are just as strong as the enemy gives you power to be strong, but the other 300 guys, God is with them. You see? So they never saw the strength behind the 300. They will just see the strength within the numbers. Because many times we think that numbers mean strength, but not necessarily so. So what happened when, when the servant of Elisha was saying, oh, um, oh my gosh, you know, he was fretting because he saw the numbers coming against them. You remember that story, right, in the Bible? And what happened when he said, well, Lord, just open up his eyes so he could really see our numbers. And their numbers were in the spirit realm, but of course his servant could not see that. What he was able to see was in the natural until Elijah said, open up his spiritual eyes so that he could see the number, the strength that is with us. So what happened? The, God's people won the battle because the other side overestimated their strength against the army of God. But when God is on your side, I want to let you know, you're always going to be victorious. You're going to victor in everything you do when God is on your side. It doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter who, well, who says something against you or what's coming towards you. When you're standing in the word of God and with God, you are going to be victorious in your walk and in your endeavors. And that's the bottom line. So we have businesses have failed. A lot of people, students have flunked out of school because they overestimated their strengths, their abilities. We overestimate how much we can handle, how much we can do. We overestimate those things, not realizing that we're just what? Human beings, okay? And we need to understand our strengths, what we're strong in and what we're not so strong in. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy is very astute. He's very smart. You know, so he's going to come against you in areas where you are weak. He's not going to come against you in areas where you are strong. That's not the areas he's going to hit you at where you can say, oh, I'm going to stand because, yeah, I don't, I don't, that, that doesn't bother me or this, or I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't have problems with this issue or that issue. Well, the enemy is very smart. He's not going to hit you with issues that you have no issues with. <laughs> come on, right? So the problems are going to come in the areas, the temptation is going to come in the areas where you are weak, where you are not as strong. And that's where the issue is going to come. And this is part of the problem that we think we're fighting with an enemy that doesn't understand our weaknesses and our strengths. But let me tell you, he's been around a lot longer than we have. Okay? He's been around for millennia. So he understands your weaknesses and your strengths. You know? And sometimes we, help, we can help the enemy along the way. Okay? Because sometimes we confess things out of our mouths that give him an edge also. Amen. So we have to be careful about that. A lot of spouses fall into affairs, right? Because they overestimated what? Their strengths. And what ends up happening? Sometimes people go, oh, I could flirt a little bit here and there. It doesn't mean anything. How many people have thought that way? <laughs> you know, I could, I could flirt a little bit here and there. You know, nothing is going to come of it. Nothing is going to happen. I got it under control. I got it under control. But then the next thing you know, because you say you got it under control, you overestimate, okay, your strength and something that supposed, what, what, what started out supposedly as just a simple flirt, flirtatious thing, ends up into a full-blown affair because we overestimated our strengths. And then what happens after that? We fall, we fail, and then you know the repercussions. It's like a domino effect. You know, once this happens, everything starts to come down in a domino effect. And then your marriage is in jeopardy. Your child could be in jeopardy. You know, your children, what they're thinking, if you have any, and so on and so forth. And that happens quite a bit. People are always pushing the envelope, I call it. And I'm not just talking about people in the world. I'm talking about Christians who we push the envelope thinking we have things under control when we don't have them under control. We think we have them under control, but we don't have them under control. First Corinthians, write this down, uh, 10, 12 says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay? First Corinthians 10, 12. I'm going to read that again because that is so powerful. So if you think that you are standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. All right? So even there it says it. Be careful you don't fall if you think you are standing firm. Because when you least expect it, 
If you overestimate yourself and underestimate the enemy, boom. The carpet could be pulled out from underneath you and you're going to fall. The Bible says that one of the reasons why we have many failures is in our lives is because we think we're stronger than we really are. We need to stop being naive, people. We need to stop being naive. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. Stop being naive. Stop believing that you are so powerful and so strong in of yourself without God that you can control your situation. You can control what's going on because you can't. We need to rely in God. I like this verse over here. I just wrote it down because I just love that verse, Romans um, 12, 3. How many of you know that verse? Romans 12, 3, where it says, do not think more of yourself than you ought to. Okay? I just love that. I'm always quoting that. <laughs> you know, every time I think, I'm going like, do not think more of yourself than you ought to. I remind myself that every day with that verse. Okay? Do not think more of yourself than you ought to. You're not almighty and powerful. And who, which one of us thinks we're Jesus? Because the only person who was able to ward off temptation completely was Jesus himself. So none of us are Jesus. Let me ask a question here by a show of hands. How many of you have never lied? How many of you have never lied in your life? I'm talking about your entire life. How many of you? Come on, raise your hands, people. How many of you have never lied? And that's great. <laughs> Okay, we all have. I don't think there's a person living today that has not lied. And even children learn how to lie early on. Okay, if for those of you who have kids, when they're caught doing something and you go, what's going on? They come up with a whole story that's not what is not the truth. That is the sin nature of man. We will lie. We will make up stories. We will try to, you know, so when we go through our failures, we try to justify it. We try to lie. We try to... Haven't you ever noticed when we are in sin, we begin to formalize so many lies to cover up, cover up what we're doing, cover up what is really truly going on in our lives. We will lie out of our teeth. We will make up stories and say whatever needs to be said just to appease others. But we're going to get into that. <clears throat> We need to stop being self-confident. None of us, and I say none of us today, are exempt. Okay? If you're here on this earth, you are not exempt from failure. You are not exempt from sin. We have all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. Given the right situation, come on, let's be honest. Given the right situation, we can all sin and fall into temptation. And then go ahead and do it. Given the right situation. Because sometimes we think we're strong because it's not the right situation. But given the right situation, everything being put really nicely, like the enemy knows how to do it because he presents things really cute, really nice. You know, have you noticed that? He doesn't present it as a bad thing. Presents it really nice. We can all fall. So given the right situation, we are all capable of what? Of sin. We are all capable of sin. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I'm going to read that again because I don't think a lot of people understand how deceitful the heart can be. Okay? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful about, above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We need to understand we need to stop kidding ourselves. We need to stop kidding ourselves. We need to understand our strengths, but we also need to understand our what? Our weaknesses. Okay, and when we need help, we need to learn how to ask for the help that we need because we all have weaknesses. We have strengths, but then we have our weaknesses as well. Um, B, we fear the disapproval of others, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit. One of, the, one of the things about failure is that we fear the disapproval of others. Number one, we make decisions based on what other people think. And I'm going to be talking about that. We make decisions based on what other people think. And I'm talking about we tend to go with the flow. Because 
We see others doing it, especially at work or at school, for people who are going to school. We see people doing what is not correct, what is not right in the sight of God, but we tend to flow with it because we are worried what others are going to think. We, are, we don't know how to stand out and say, no, I'm not going to do this because I know this is wrong in the sight of God. I know this is sin. We don't know how to stand apart and say that. We will tend to go with the flow because we don't want others to dislike us. We don't want them to think wrongly of us. We don't want them to think that we are flowing with their ideal, ideals and ideas. And I'm talking about, you know, um, when, like, for instance, with drugs, you know, usually people start out by dabbling with marijuana, with little things here and there with their friends, with their quote-unquote friends, right? You see that a lot. Until it becomes a full-blown problem where then they become engaged in then heavy type of drugs. But they tend to do it. Why? Because they don't want their friends to think that they're not what? What they call cool. You know, so they're worried about what their friends are going to think. So they take a puff here and there, and they start out slowly, thinking that they have it, what, under control. Because I've heard a lot of people say that they have their drug issues under control. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, for real. You know, people say they just take it recreational, you know, recreationally. I'm just taking it recreationally. It's not, I have it under, I have, oh, I have my alcoholism under control. And they refuse to admit that it is way out of control it has become an issue, it is a problem, and that they are addicted. By then, then comes the fight to start coming out of that. And it's, I'm telling you, it's a lot of prayer. It's not an easy thing to come out of. But they started out how? They started out by being crowd pleasers. You know, let me, let me, let me be a, a crowd pleaser. Let me flow with the crowd so I could fit in, kind of fit in kind of thing. You know, and I'm seeing a lot of that today, not only in young people, but even in adults where today we are being faced with so much going on in the media, okay, and these people going with the flow of things. How many of you are having a problem because I'm having a problem with it and I'm just going to throw it out there? How many of you have a problem with men going into women's bathrooms? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having a huge issue with that, you know? And how many of you find yourselves, because I find myself, how many of you are finding yourselves when you're going into the woman's bathroom now looking around? You know, I have an issue with that. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not a happy camper about that. But yet, so many people want to be politically correct and want to be with the flow of what's going on that they won't speak out against it. And that's the truth. And that's the truth because we don't want to, be sta we don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand out. We want people to like us. We want to be part of that crowd. So we have issues by saying, I'm not in agreement with that, if the conversation tends to come up. We have a problem with admitting that we have a problem with that, if the conversation comes up, because we don't want to look like the outsider, okay? Or like what people coin the hater. You know, we become haters. If we speak out, we're haters, which is... Yeah, it's just nuts to me what's going on now. Yet, you know, many people feel that way. I believe a lot of women feel that way, but they won't voice it because they don't want to look like the outsider. They don't want to look like the bad person. So we tend to be people who worry about what other people think instead of worrying about what God thinks. Come on. Are we worrying about what God thinks? Or do we worry more about what people are thinking than what God is thinking? And this is why a lot of us won't speak out about issues. Come on, I'm telling the truth. I'm speaking truth right now. Because these become conversations in your job. They become conversations within your own family. Come on, people. Come on, people. You know what I'm talking about. There are conversations within your own family, within your job, within the schools. Come on, let's be true. Let's be true. And are you standing or are you submitting to everyone else because you are worried about what people are thinking instead of what God is thinking? Come on. Let's be for real with ourselves. And I don't want us to say, yeah, I'm worried about what God is thinking, but yet you ain't standing for God.
Yet you ain't raising your voice for God. Where's God in all of this? We fear the people. I remember years ago, I was, um, I was, in, a K I was in Kmart. I was doing some shopping. And somebody, you know this person, I won't mention their name, but she came up to me. She saw me in the store, in the Kmart store, and I was doing some shopping, normal, and um, she came up to me and she said, oh, hi, how you doing? And we started talking and all of that. And she said to me, you know, oh, you know, I just got diagnosed with cancer. And I don't know what, I mean, something, just a righteous thing just came over me. I said, that's a lie of the devil in the name. And I started praying for her in the middle of the store. I said, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> People were walking by, people looked at me like if I was nuts, you know, but I didn't care because I was standing up for what I believe. And I know God put that thing in my heart to pray for her right there. And I, I wasn't worrying about what the people were going to think. Okay. I wasn't worried about what the people were going to say. I knew I had to pray for her right there because as children of God, that's what we're here for. Come on. We're either here to stand up for him or what's the point? So I began praying in the middle of the store. And the people started looking. I said, I don't care. I says, in the, and she calls me about, I saw her about a month later, a month and a half later. She said she went back to the doctor. They couldn't find the cancer. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, another time I was working in my job. I had a job and I was working at the job and I had a girl who was, you know, she was having a lot of problems with her pregnancy. Um, and she was losing, you know, she was bleeding. She they told her she might lose the child. The child was not going to be viable, so on and so forth. And I says, I said, that child will live. I told her like that. That child will live and will serve the Lord. I said, we're going to pray right now. So I took her to the side. You know, there was like a little side room. This is in my job now. You know, you're not supposed to proselytize or pray or anything. I said, we're going here. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus. And I took her to the side. And I began praying for her, and I said, this child will live in the name of Jesus. And I declare and decree that this child will serve the living God. And I began, I said, you will not lose this child. You will give birth to this child, to this young girl, and she will serve the Lord. And, you know, it was like a guy walked in, you know, on us, and he looked like, because I was, I was busy in the middle of praying for her, and he just walked, turned around and walked back down and shut the door, you know. And this was at work where you're not supposed to do things like this. But God, are we going to stand up for God in this season, people? Are we going to do the impossible? Are we going to be like David who said, I'm going to take the giant down. Nobody wants to go out there, but I'm going out there. I'm going to take the giant down in the name of Jesus. And he went out there. Everybody else was afraid. Everybody else was, was in fear for their lives. But he just stepped forward and said, I'm going to do this. A couple of weeks later, the, the girl I was talking about, she was in the hospital. She didn't come to work. She was in the hospital. And I had asked one of the coworkers, you know, if they knew anything about her. And it says, oh, she's in the hospital. She's really bleeding. They said that she's going to lose the baby today. This is what they said. I said, she's not going to lose that baby. I says, she will not lose that child. The week went by. Guess what? She was able to keep her child. She gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl and had her baby. And she just said, thank you so much for your prayers and for standing, and for standing up. People of God, we got to stand up in this season. We got to stand up without fear, without trepidation, or without fear of reprisal, and get up and proclaim the word of God to this nation. People of God, if you know sin is wrong, we need to stand up and say it is wrong in the name of Jesus. We need to state that this is not okay to be a drug addict. It's not okay. We need to stand up and say that. And we're not haters. No, we love the people. We want to see them saved, delivered, and set free. But the lie of the enemy today is that we are haters. Because the enemy will paint you and I as the haters. As the evil ones, you know, oh, they don't want, just because we're not flowing with your sin, we're evil and we're haters. I don't think so. I don't think so. But we're painted in that light. And even in the media, we're painted in that light. I'm sorry to say, people are afraid today to speak up on what is right. 
People don't want to say homosexuality is a sin. They don't want to say that anymore. And I'm going to say it. If they arrest me, okay. But they don't want to say that anymore because they want to be politically correct. Yeah, the transgender situation, all of that. Oh, it's wrong. It's sin. It, it goes against the word of God. And we love you enough to let you know. If anything is love, when you let people know that they're in sin, when that you want to pray, you love them. I love them. I want to pray over them. You love them. And you, you know, and that's what we want to do. Ask people of God. No, it's because I love you. How many of you, your children is doing wrong. You're going to let them do wrong. You're going to let them continue in a path of destruction because you want to be politically correct. Come on, people. No, you, your love, the love of a parent, the love of a mother, the love of a father is going to let their child know you're wrong, you're doing wrong, I need to pray for you, you need to get your life right with God. Because if you truly you love know, your child, you know, I love that verse that says in, in Psalms, uh, Proverbs, I think it is, he who fails to discipline his child hates his own child. That's what the Bible says. That doesn't come from me. If you fail to discipline your own child, you hate your child. <laughs> if you are a child of God and you say, I'm on the path to heaven, you want to see your children there too. Come on, people. How many of us parents who love our children want to go to heaven and they, oh, let them do whatever? They get saved, they get saved, they don't, they don't. No, you want to see your children come to Christ. You want them to be saved. So we go with the flow. We, I, I put this, you go along to get along. You know, we just, just to get along. We, we go along to get along. Because we don't want to be the, the, the outsider. We don't want to seem like the outsider or the, the weirdo, if you want to call it that. But let me tell you something, I'll be a weirdo for Jesus. I don't care what they want to label me. You know, at this time, I'll be, I'll be a weirdo for Jesus. Yeah, if that's what you want to label me. You, um, you become a people pleaser instead of who? I said a God pleaser. So we're busy pleasing people. We're busy making people happy in our jobs, in our, in, in, you know, wherever we go, in the market, wherever we go. People, it's time to, it's time to stand up for what we believe. If we're truly children of God, it's time for us to stand up for what we believe. Think about it. Peter was with Jesus for how many years? Uh, three and a half years ministering with Jesus. And what happened? When the rubber met the road, he says, I'm not going to deny you. But what happened? Exactly what Jesus told him happened. And guess what? That, in that verse, and I didn't read the rest of it, it says, and all the other disciples vowed the same thing. How many of you saw that? That it was not just Peter who vowed that. But they all vowed the same thing. Where were they? Where were they? Where were they when Jesus was arrested? How many of them were there? They all scattered. Yeah, they all scattered. Peter just went to see what was going on. But when he was asked the question, aren't you part of that crowd? Didn't I see you walking with him? What happened? What happened? He denied him. And it was at that point, you know, and that was a failure right there because he denied Jesus. He said, I don't know him. No, you, you're mistaken. You're not. I wasn't with him. That was a failure by Peter. Yet he walked with Jesus for what? The three and a half years. Jesus ministered to him. He knew the word and so on and so forth. So, this is an example. Just Peter is just one example in the Bible. But if you really look through the whole entire Bible, you see how, how all these people, David failed. You see how all these people, how, you know, they all have failures in one way or the other. Because they were human beings. They were not superhuman. They were human beings. And so are we. We are what we call human beings. Um, <clears throat> so um, when Peter was with, walk, I mean, when Peter denied him, you know, he had the opportunity to admit that, yeah, he knew him, but, you know, he just was afraid. And he said, no, I don't know, and I'm not with him. But I, what I like about Peter was that he repented from that. 
Because as you go along reading, it says that he went out and he cried bitterly. Okay, he went out and he cried bitterly. Hallelujah. When you let anybody else be more important than God in your life, they become your God. Come on. Think about that for a second. Digest that for a second. When you let anybody else be more important than God in your life, they become your God. Because then you become about pleasing them instead of about pleasing God. And that's called what? That's called an idol. If somebody else is your God, if something else is your God, that's an idol. That's what the Bible says is an idol. Okay? And that's a setup for what? For failure. That's what that is. We're all worried about all kinds of things happening, you know, air pollution. How many of you worry about air pollution today and so many things going on? We need to start worrying about brain pollution. Forget about the air pollution. Start worrying about brain pollution. We're garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. And I mentioned this on my last, my, my last uh, message. I'm going to say it again. You guys are watching too much TV. Stop watching garbage. Because it's not edifying your soul. You tell me what on TV, what programs you're watching that are edifying your soul. Come on, let's be real right now. Give me one. Really? <laughs> I mean, HGTV is good enough itself. You learn how to decorate, but it's not really edifying your soul, so to speak. If you watch TVN, then yeah, they start. But how many of us are really watching that instead of watching shows? Come on, let's, let's be for real now. How many of us are really watching Soap operas and shows more than TBN and more than, come on, be real. Come on, you got to be real with yourself today. Yeah. The Bachelor, you know, really? How does that edify your soul? So this is just part of the problem. You know, there is so much garbage in television today that it preys on the weak. Come on. It preys on the weak. It preys on the areas in which you're weak. I'm going to say the truth. There's so much sex and violence on TV. Come on. And now homosexuality too, because they, they, they're, they're jamming it down your throats. They're jamming it down our throats, people. Okay? More than anything else. All right? When you look at these programs, why are we watching them when we know these things are sin? Why are we giving it time, our time, our precious time, time that we should be spending in prayer with God? Come on. Giving these things precedence over our lives. I got I to run home. We're running home from work to watch garbage. We had a problem at work today. Let me go home and watch garbage. Instead of going home to pray and seek God for answers. Am I touching a nerve today? Good, I hope so. That was my intention. I like touching nerves because it is in truth, okay, that then change can begin. Before you, before you heal from something, you got to be real with yourself. And you got to be truthful. You can't heal from alcoholism if you don't confess you're an alcoholic so that you can start getting the help you need. If you're saying you're taking drugs and you don't want to admit that you're a drug addict, then you're not going to get the help that you need. You got to confess the truth. I'm a drug addict and I need help. Help begins with confession. Come on. Help begins with confession. It does not begin with us trying to masquerade everything. Oh, I had a tough day at work, so yeah, I'm going to watch my garbage program. You know, that's, that's, that, how is that supposed to help you with your tough day at work, I ask? <clears throat> Next one is, see, is we speak without thinking. Many of us tend to speak what without thinking. 
We put our mouth in motion before we put our mind in gear. How many of you do that from time to time? <laughs> and you're trying to catch the words. You're trying to get them back, but it's too late because you put your mouth in motion before you put your mind in gear. How many, how many of you have done that? I've done that. <laughs> we speak impulsively sometimes, thoughtlessly. That's true. We don't consider the damage it would do to ourselves or to others around us as we're saying the things that we're saying. We don't really consider that. And I know, I, I could tell you from experience, when I was first, my husband and I were first married, I would always, I always spoke my mind. I was one of those people that whatever I was thinking, I would just, you know, I spoke my mind. I said it. And my husband says, you can't do that. You have to think before you, so he, I, I thank God for him because he would always tell me, you got to think before you speak. You just can't, even if it's true, you just can't spill it out. You got to think how you're going to come about saying something, not just spilling it out there because it can hurt the person and the person, it'll take a long time for them to either heal or they won't ever want to come back. So I had to learn that lesson. We don't think rationally many times, number four, but we think what? Emotionally. A lot of people speak through their emotions, not rational. And so when we speak emotionally, a lot of times because it's our own emotions, it's not making, I just got to tell you, it's not making any sense. Because you don't take a step back to look at what's really rational. Okay, let's talk about this rationally, not emotionally. Because emotionally doesn't get you nowhere. It doesn't solve the problem. But we have to think for rationality, rational solutions to situations and to things, rather than emotional. Because sometimes people speak to me emotionally, and I go, you ain't making no sense whatsoever. To me, it don't make no sense. And I go, that doesn't make no sense whatsoever. That's coming for your emotion. But that's not rational. That's not truth. That's not what the Bible says. How many of us as Christians have tended to do that, where we speak emotionally and not biblically? We're just talking emotionally, you know. This is what I'm going through. This is my pain. This is my whatever, you know. But then we don't realize that God is in control. We don't realize that God has you in his hands. Why? Because we're not, we're not reaching out to the word of God. We're just speaking emotionally, not reaching the word and saying, you know, God said, you know, I feel like this, but the word of God says this. I want to do this, but the word of God says don't do that. You see? So we tend to rationalize everything, and we think that by rationalizing everything, you know, it makes things okay. We try to, emotionally we speak, and then we try to rationalize in our heads what we spoke emotionally. doesn't work. People of God, doesn't work. We got to go by the word of God, period. There's no other way around that. People say, I just say whatever I feel. How many of you ever heard that? <laughs> I just say whatever I feel. And people, you know, use that as if they're so courageous. You know, I'm so courageous. I'll just say what I feel, do what I feel, you know. And that's how courageous I am. But no, that's a sign of immaturity. In God, that's a sign of immaturity. You can't just speak emotionally and speak what you want to speak. You have to think, and you got to go by the Bible. you got to go biblically. Okay? Children tend to do that. How many of you see your children? They tend to say whatever they're going to say. Off the top of their heads, they just like, okay, this is the way I feel. If you got bad breath, they're going to tell you you got bad breath. You know, that kind of thing. You know, you ever heard kids do that? You know? If your nails are ugly, they'll tell you your nails are ugly and things like that. You know, like there was this little girl, she, she, she would look at her, 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 her mother's hands one day. She was looking at her mother's hands. She told you, got, Mama, you got the ugliest nails I ever saw. You know? And she was just being honest because kids tend to say whatever. I don't think you would have said that as an adult to her because you don't want to, what? We don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever. So we, that's something we would think about saying before we would say that. But, you know, kids will tend to say whatever comes to their mind. And she said, Mom, you have the ugliest nails I ever saw. They're so ugly. And after that, she says, when she told me that, I went right to get a manicure. <laughs> she says, she ran to, the, to get a manicure, she says. And from that moment forward, she always did her nails. She always got a manicure. Maybe I, that's what I need. Somebody tell me my nails are ugly because I hate going to the manicurist, you know. But, um, yeah, so, so she was telling me, so I got a manicure for the rest of, you know, after I knew her for the rest of her life, and I still know her now, she always, her hands are well manicured. <laughs> Well manicured. Um, but it's, it, it was in the child's eyes, it was the truth. You know, it was the truth. But she did something about it. James 3, 
5 through 6 says, The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Okay, the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Our tongue is full of what? It's full of wickedness and can poison everything else in your life. And not just in your life, in someone else's life, in your children's life, in people around you. That's how wicked the tongue can be. It can poison everything around you. It'll poison your relationships. How many of you know that? So for married folk, you need to watch what you're saying because your tongue can poison your relationship, your marriage. What are you saying to your spouse? What are you speaking? Words of death or words of life over your spouse? Because if you're speaking words of death, then your marriage is doomed because that's what you're speaking into it. Come on, people. That's what you're speaking into it, doom and gloom, destruction. That's what you're speaking into your marriage. That's what you're going to reap out of your marriage, what you're speaking into it. But if you speak life, if you speak prosperity, okay, over your spouse, he's a man of God, she's a woman of God, building on fire. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me a woman of God. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me a man of God. And speak life, then that person continues to grow. Words of life will help something to grow. Words of death will kill something. And that's the God honest truth. If you continue to speak life, your marriage will grow. Your relationships will grow. You will grow in your job. But if you speak words of death, doom, destruction, that's what you're going to reap in your relationship. That's what you will reap in your jobs. That's what you will reap with your children. What kinds of words do you speak to your children? Are you telling them they're stupid or that they're smart? And they can do anything to, through Christ who strengthens them. What are we speaking into their lives? Because whatever you speak, then they, be, they grow up and they become that. Okay, whatever. If you tell your child he's stupid, he'll grow up thinking he's stupid and believing he's stupid all his life. But if you, if you speak to them words of life, you can do it. You're so smart. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, God has you. You know, uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in you. And you speak words of life into your child's life. That child will grow up to be a man or woman of God, to be blessed, okay, wherever he or she goes, to be able to stand firm in God's word, okay, and to, that person will be able to achieve anything through Christ Jesus. Our tongue is, uh, <clears throat> can poison even your future dreams. How many of you know that? How many of you know that? Your future dreams. What are the dreams? What are your aspirations? What are you hoping to do with your life? But sometimes we say, God, I want to do this. But then with the same tongue, we say, I will never be able to do it. So you see, we go like, I want to be this or I want to be that. But then we say, I'm not smart enough to achieve that very thing. So with the same tongue, wow, you know, we speak, we can, we can tend to flip-flop, speak life and death to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, to our co-workers, to, you know, to our, our brothers and sisters in the church. We can tend to flip-flop, speak one thing and then speak something else. So what happens with a person who's going constantly back and forth? They never achieve anything because they don't believe that they can and at the same, but at the same time, they want to. But, you can't, but you're not believing you can through Christ Jesus. You're not believing you could achieve that career. You're not believing that you could achieve that place in God where you want to be. So what are your dreams? What are your aspirations? They can be easily destroyed if you're not careful through your tongue. Amen. Three things you can do to recover from failure. And I'm going to give you these quickly because time goes by really fast. And I don't have a time, so I don't know how long I'm supposed to be. The timer's not working, I guess. Yeah, so three things you can do to recover from failure. One is grieve. Okay, you want to recover from failure? Grieve the situation and move on. Yeah, grieve. Cry your tears. Do whatever you need to do. Grieve the failure. Do not minimize it, Okay. Don't minimize it. You went through something difficult. Peter went through something difficult. What happened? He denied Christ, what, three times? He regretted it. He grieved. He went out and he cried. They say he wept. He didn't minimize what he had done. He grieved it, 
And then he, from there, what happened, if you continue looking into Peter's life, you know, he began, through him, the church began, and he, 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 from there, he moved on. But he was able to do that because he grieved the situation. He cried, wept his tears, and then wiped his tears and said, okay, let me not do what God is calling me to do. Let me not stay in my pity party forever. You know, let me grieve it. Let me not minimize it. It happened. I did it. Okay, let me move on from there. Do not justify it, okay? Sometimes we tend to do that. We justify what we've done by what other people have done. Stop doing that. Worry about yourself, not what other people have done. If you sin, worry about what you have done and get your life right with God and stop trying to justify it because somebody else did the same thing or maybe did something that you think deem as worse, people of God. Don't justify your failures and your wrongs by what other people are doing. Just look upon yourself. That's the proverbial, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye, but look at the beam in your own. And stop worrying about their failures and what they did wrong and just keep yourself right with God. Do not pretend it did not happen. Sometimes we make believe. We sin and then we make believe it never happened. We don't, we don't confess it. We don't repent from it. We just make believe it never happened. But guess what? As much as you want to believe it never happened, it happened and God will continue to remind you that it happened until you repent from it. Don't make excuses for it, you know. Peter did not make excuses. And don't brush it off or downplay it. Okay, we tend to brush things off, downplay them. You know, no, you sin, you sin. You got to get it right with God. God is a merciful God. If you repent, like I said before, he is able and just to forgive you. And then you move on in Christ Jesus. So grieve it, feel the, feel the pain, don't brush it off, don't rush to get better. And this is what happens to a lot of people. And this is what happens to many people, that they rush to get better. And I've seen this a lot in ministry. This is a huge mistake that I've seen in ministry for many years, that as I've been in ministry, I've seen people have failures in their lives, even pastors, okay? And they rush to get over it so they could continue pastoring. What a big mistake. Because some of the things that can even happen to pastors is not that simple to brush it off and then to keep walking, hurry up and get over it. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes these things are long-term things that you need help. You need professional help for them. Sometimes we're going through things in our personal lives that we need professional counselors to help us through, godly counselors, people who can work with us, people who can show us the word of God, people who, you know, and I'm not talking about go to just anybody. Because I know you don't want your business all out there. Most people are private people, right? And they don't want their business all there. But choose a person that you can trust, that can pray with you, who loves you enough to keep your secret with them and love you enough to pray for you and pray with you. It might be more than one person you want to speak to. It might be just one. But don't rush to get through it. We see many pastors have failures in their lives and they never get the help that they need. Thus the situation continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And then what ends up happening is eventually they have to leave the church because they never got the help they needed from the very beginning. From the very onset of the situation, they never got the help that they needed. And I'm always telling my husband, when people go through certain things in life, certain failures in life, because some things are more difficult than others. Some things are, you, some things are easier to repent from, and, and go, but some things are long-term things within ourselves where we need to be patient and we need the help. And we should not rush. We cannot rush to get better and to say, oh, I just want to be thrusted back into ministry as if ministry is going to help because it's not going to help because the issue is within you and it's still inside. And it's not until you deal with it completely and take care of it, you will not be able to grow in God. Okay, you'll mask it with ministry and all of that, but the issue will still be inside of you. And the, the idea is not to mask something that you're dealing with inside yourself. The idea is to be healed from it 100%. To be set free in the name of Jesus from whatever you're going through so that you can grow in God. That's the idea. Anyway, for me that is, right? That's the ideal thing. You want to grow in God. You want to continue to move forward. Matthew 26, um, 26, I've put here, I don't know, seven, that's the wrong one. But anyway, in Matthew 26, it says that when Peter heard, heard the rooster crow, he remembered what Jesus had said, and he wept bitterly. Um, <clears throat> Let your small group support you. 
How many of you are in a small group here? Maybe not. We have to start small groups again. But let your small group support you. Do not isolate yourself when you're going through something because you need, sometimes we need help. We can't be long rangers. Sometimes we really need help with what we're going through. It's very difficult and we can't carry the burden alone. So we need to understand that we should never isolate ourselves, never walk alone on certain things. You know, and ladies, there's some things that, you know, you, we go through that, you know, we have our spouses, but we need another woman to help us walk it through. A woman of God who can, who can help us to pray and vice versa. Sometimes men are going through things that the wife cannot really help with. That it has to be another man who they, they can come and pray together and they can help each other. They can uplift each other and, and, and spe speak to each other words of life and reach out to them. Because there's so much that we can do, you know, as people. But sometimes there are issues that women go through that men don't understand and vice versa. Sometimes there's issues in men that women are not going to understand because it's a man thing. That's what I call it, a man thing, you know. Or issues that we go through, I call it a woman thing. So we talk to our spouses, and they may seem indifferent, but it's that they don't understand it because they're not a woman or they're not a man. So sometimes we need to get help from our brothers and sisters in Christ and not isolate ourselves and not walk a situation alone. Do not insulate yourself and tell a few people who love you to pray with you. And if you don't want to be so forthcoming, just let one person know, the second or two people know that you trust, that you feel you can trust, and they can pray with you. Sometimes when we get laid off of work, we don't want people to know. We go through bankruptcy. We're embarrassed. We don't want people to know. You know, my finances are bad. Can you pray with me? When was the last time we did that? I'm going through. I got laid off at work. Can you pray with me? I have, a, I have to get a job. Can you pray with me? We get embarrassed. When we have failures in our lives, a lot of times we want to keep it a secret. We want to keep it a secret because we're embarrassed. We don't want others to know what we're going through. But I, that's a mistake because when you, don't, when you don't share with others, then you don't get the healing that you need. A long ranger doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do very well alone. When you have a two people, three people, you do a lot better than with a long ranger trying to work everything out alone. And I know because sometimes some, some people can be, you know, insolent or they like to be, they're loners or they're, you know, I understand because I can tend to be that way myself. I can tend to be the loner type, you know? And so I'm more like, I talk to my husband, I'm a recluse in a sense. You know, I can tend to be that way, you know, just, you know, the loner, alone kind of person. But it's not always the best thing. You know, when you have, when you need help, you should reach out for help. You should ask for help. That's what we're here for. We're here for each other, to help each other out. We were never meant to go through life alone. How many of you know that? I mean, how many of you think that you were meant to go through life by yourself? You were never meant to go through life by yourself. Yeah, it used to be that way. Cast yourself on God's mercy. Do not despair when you have a failure in your life. Do not walk in condemnation. Christ does not want you to walk in condemnation, but repent before God and get your life straight with him. Cast out all your guilt and shame. Be filled with hope and embrace God's mercy. Amen. See, I'll tell you there was a lot. I'm going to give you this. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right? Peter, first Peter 5, 7. First Peter 1, 3 says, Because of his great mercy, God has given us a new life. God has given us a new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a what? With a living hope. Okay, so because of his great mercy, he gave Jesus Christ, and this fills us with a living hope, not a dead hope. Notice the word living there, with a living hope, who is Christ Jesus. I'm going to give you real quickly, and then we're going to conclude um, five things that Jesus does with our failures. Number one, he isn't shocked by your failures. How many of you think that Jesus is shocked by your failures? Come on. I think that whatever you've done or whatever you say, you know, he's not shocked by it. You know, he's not shocked by it. He knows, he knows us. In um, Psalms 103, 14, it says, God certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind that we are dust. I love that verse. God certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind that we are dust. Mm -hmm. um, that Psalm 103, 14. 
And then he prays for us. How many of you know that God is forever interceding for us? Amen. He, oh, he forever intercedes. So you're not alone. He's interceding for you. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save us completely because he lives to intercede on our behalf. He is always talking to the Father, asking him to help us. Isn't that beautiful that your Lord and Savior is forever interceding for you, for us as individuals. He interceded for your situation. He intercedes for you every day before the Father. Number three, he believes in us. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For even though a righteous man falls, what? Seven times he will rise again. So Jesus believes in us. He knows that we're going to fall, but he knows a righteous man will fall and will, what? Will rise again. He will come up again. You weren't meant to stay down, people. Okay, the devil will have you believe that you're meant to stay down and he'll have you on the foot, but you're supposed to be the opposite way around. You're supposed to have him on the foot and you're supposed to rise up in Christ Jesus and let him know he's got no hold over you, but that you have him under your feet. Hallelujah, this afternoon. You need to understand that, that you walk victorious in him. Hallelujah. He shows us mercy. When, number four, he shows us mercy when we're down. Psalm 136, 26 says, Oh, give thanks unto God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. And number five, he uses our failures to what? To build the church. He uses our failures to, how does he do that? How does Christ Jesus use our failures to build the church? Thank you. When we're overcome by the word of our testimony. He uses it to build the church because whatever you're going through, you may not be alone. Somebody else may struggle with the same thing. And through the word of your testimony, they're going to rise up. And if you have overcome, then they say, well, then she overcame. I can overcome too through Christ Jesus. So he uses that to build up the church, the testimony of the church. To teach you, you don't have to stay a drug addict. If you are dabbling in drugs today, you need to stop. You don't need to be there in that place. God doesn't want you struggling with that. If you're in adultery or thinking about it, stop right now. God doesn't want you in that place. He wants you to be overcomers. He called each and every one of us to be overcomers. Number five, he uses our failures to build the church. I said that. And so Luke twenty-two thirty-two says, Peter, when you have turned back to me, this is what he said, Peter, when you have turned back to me, strengthen and build up your brothers. And did Peter do that? Yes, that's exactly what Peter did. He turned back to God, and then he stood up, and he built what? The church. Hallelujah. He built up the church. And today you are here because of the ministry of these men of God. Today you are part of that church. You don't have to be by yourself today. I know that a lot of us struggle with different things, but you need to learn to give them to Christ Jesus. You need to put things at the foot of the cross. You need to trust in him today. You need to stop in your tracks and stop what you are doing if you are in sin. I'm talking to everyone here today, including myself. You need to start to self-introspect and see where in your life you need to change in Jesus' name. Because none of us are perfect and if you think you have arrived, then you should be dead today and in heaven already. None of us are perfect. We go through different things, through different stages in our lives. But we are here to build each other up. We are your brothers, your sisters. We are here to build one another up and to hold each other up in times of trouble, in times of difficulty. What failure you had that God wants you to build his church today? What failure have you had? That God maybe wants to use to build up his church today. Have you ever asked yourself that question? How can I help someone else go through this situation? I'm going to tell you right now, it's very difficult to minister to someone in a place that you have not walked those shoes. Come on, people of God. There's certain things that go above me because I haven't walked those shoes yet. I can give you scripture, but I can't empathize with you because I haven't walked those shoes yet. But how many of you have walked the shoes of, maybe of other people in this room today that you can help build them up because you've already been there and done that and you overcame? 
So what failures in our lives can Jesus use today to build up the church? Are you going to respond to your failure like Judas or like Peter? Are you going to respond to your failure today like Judas or like Peter? It's your choice. You have to make a choice. Judas had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. What do you want today? Are you looking for a breakthrough in Christ Jesus? Judas gave up, and what happened? Peter looked up. They both failed. They both, their failures were different failures, but they both failed nevertheless. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter accepted the mercy of God. Judas lived in condemnation. Peter lived in celebration of the mercy of God. Right? Judas ended up taking his life in despair, but Peter ended up living his life with purpose. How will you live today? Make a choice. Are you going to live in despair, in condemnation, or are you going to live in victory?